Hey everybody, Chibi here. Before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for showing us that you care about poetry and getting to know more poets across this country. If you've liked what you've heard so far, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, share these episodes, tell a friend, rate and review us wherever you can. And if you want to know more about the things and the initiatives that we are putting in place, you can look us up on Facebook at The Blah Poetry Spot. That is B-L-A-H, The Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook or Write Art Out on Instagram. That's W-R-I-T-E-A-R-T-O-U-T, Write Art Out. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get into today's conversation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Blah Poetry Spot Presents Words and Shit. I am so excited to get rolling. As always, I have my illustrious co-host, the San Antonio taco poet, Eddie Vega. Hey, how are we doing? How are we doing? Ooh. Eddie changed his shirt, didn't look at his collar. Eddie's now got a college shirt. She feeling fancy. All right. And I have a comfortable chair this time because I finally figured out that if we're going to be sitting down for an hour, I need something like cushion. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's the secret. That's the secret to this, uh, to this show that we've got going, really. I am literally Cushions. sitting on my coffee table because it is the only thing close enough to the router so that we don't have connectivity <laughs> issues. But we're going to make it. I can't believe it's only been a week since the last show. Um, because it feels like it's been forever, but oh yeah, it does. Yeah. We had we had an amazing artist. Yeah, but we have another amazing artist today. We do, we do, we do, we do. Eddie, tell us who do we have on our show today? All right, we've got Wayne Henry. Wayne was raised in South Central LA, exposed to a melting pot of different cultures, which allows for him to have a broad canvas for his work. He moved to Dallas in 2008 and had become a passionate poet who writes each line to watch it come alive through his poetry. Dedicated to bringing awareness to issues such as mental health, oppression, depression, and the concepts of spiritual growth. He's a poet, a teacher, a father, and a POC enthusiast. Passion with purpose pushes life to new heights. He clearly loves alliteration. He's a three-time Dallas Slam team member, ranked fifth at IWIPS in 2018. Uh, Last year, 2019, uh, he kicked my ass at the Southwest Shootout in the Indy Finals. He, He won. The whole thing. So he didn't just kick my ass. He actually kicked everybody's ass. Uh, but what, he did it really nicely, though. I got to say. He's one of the nicest guys out there uh, in the slam community. Uh, so without further ado, we've got Wayne Henry. Wayne Henry. Where you at, sir? There he is. How's it going, guys? How's it going? How What's are you? Up? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Still trying to get the... <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm doing good. It's hard when you have to be your own cameraman. <laughs> it does. But yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. You seem to be enjoying the outdoors. Oh, man. It, I got to get out. I got to get out. I got to get out. Can't stay indoors for too long. This, uh, this is insane. Don't I know. It's especially, despite the weather, sometimes just being outside. 
for a little bit. Take a nice little walk. And I've never been the type to take walks. Now I'm taking walks and jogging and shit. Like, <laughs> man, it changes, it changes you. Pandemic, uh, quarantine, I, it changes I, people. I was making food the other day and I was like missing one like key ingredient. It was literally one ingredient that I needed. And my husband had taken the car to work. So I was without a car and I was like, I could not use this ingredient or I could walk to the store buy this one thing and walk back and i was like yeah walking sounds like a good idea <laughs> any reason any reason yeah but first the poetry so wayne the show is yours for the next 10 to 15 minutes you know looking forward okay. to yeah. okay so um we've been in quarantine and um i'm normally don't really write that much about um my emotions and like feelings like that but again quarantine brings out all the feels and like emotion stuff so this is a um, a breakup poem I wrote, and uh, it's a uh, I'm not going to explain it. There you go. I can't remember when fairy tale endings slipped through my reality, when happily ever after became an afterthought. Watching the fabric of our love shred itself into dangling thread, the string that ventriloquists our lips into passion. Now pride calls us acquaintances. Mere strangers attempting to drink the spirit out the memories we thought we shed forever. How dare forever rear its ugly head and take off faster than my desire could move before we could ever choose. Destiny took it upon itself. Maybe time was jealous and took it for itself. Like we mortals don't deserve to ride the chariots of the gods. Sitting on a high pale horse with trumpets for teeth, Armageddon calls our name. Armageddon called for blood, for bone, a pound of flesh that didn't have enough phoenix to rise from the ashes. Our love story will be embered inside a rusty furnace, coughing out dust and regret as smoke fills our veins. The syringe bends away from our skin. It does not want entry. The lethal injections said that we've already killed ourselves so well. That's that piece. This piece, again, a lot of my poems are inspired by my kids, so this is one that they inspired. Faith and belief. I struggle with finding the difference between the two. One is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. The other is an acceptance that a statement is true or that something actually exists. The difference begins to look like the shade of hue between ivory and white and like most things my children incidentally teach me to view conflict in ways my adult mind could never when my 14 year old stepdaughter was five she believed in the tooth fairy had faith that when she places her tooth under the pillow she will be rewarded with one dollar for each tooth by the morning and had faith that the gift would be placed there for her she kept faith and her belief that will all be worth it in the end. Crazy how every time belief and faith find themselves in the same space, they mesh together fantasy and reality. When she was seven, she had an imaginary friend named Herbert. Herbert held shit down. His main job was to conduct the tea party, supply the imaginary tea, and keep conversations interesting amongst the teddy bears that attended. Herbert, no pun intended, was a real one. They say faith comes by sight. Even though she was the only one that could see him, she believed in his ability. 
Fast forward to today, she's 14. She no longer has imaginary friends that only she can see. She's now developed a belief in a biological father whom she seeks to have faith in. A lost count of all the weekends he's left her waiting on my front porch. How many tea parties he's rain checked. How the tooth fairy and a fucking imaginary friend have been there for her more than he has. But she still holds faith as she asks me if he will be attending the daddy-daughter dance and doesn't. When she makes him a Father's Day card that he doesn't show up to receive, I begin to believe that I am not enough. I lose faith in my ability to be a good stepfather. She asks, Wayne, when is he coming? Wayne, where is he? Wayne, is he here yet? She slams the door in my face. She tells me to just leave her alone. But I can't because reality is nothing like fantasy. It doesn't go away just because you lose faith or stop believing, so I'm still here. When his promises leave her broken and I'm left to piece her back together again, what happens when faith begins to come by sight and faith is based on reality, what do I do? Well, I do what I've always done, what she has faith in me to do every single time. I replace her tooth with a dollar underneath her pillow. I pull up a chair to the tea party. I kiss that girl on the forehead, look her in the eyes and tell her that her daddy would do better next time. And she believes me. This faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's like this. I once said in a poem, Forgiveness is understanding that to forgive does not mean to forget, but rather remembering, never stand emotionally stagnant inside the wet cement of what breaks you, you might get stuck that way. I say that line as if it were a prayer that I had practiced because I did. This poem is for Anthony Richard Daniels, the man that took the life of my son, I forgive you. You don't get the courtesy of my rage the havoc of my anger. No, Anthony Richard Daniels. Instead, I memorized every scripture of forgiveness like the back of my son's casket. I taught myself to wear mercy like a brand new pair of shoes or the way suicide wears a noose. See, hate requires so much of my heart. So instead, I'll let you feel the love you ripped from my world. I don't want your sorrow. I want you to carry the burden of holding mine. From this day forth, you are now the pallbearer. Every night you will place two tokens over my son's eyes as you pedal him to the afterlife and explain to God the deeds of your wickedness, forgiveness. Forgiveness is not for the weak. It is the attribute of the strong. Without it, life becomes an endless cycle of resentment and I refuse to carry your regret. I refuse to place your sins at the altar for you. Your skeletons are not mine to wear. You gotta bury your own demons. So I'm handing you my forgiveness like it were the black plague. Like it were the last piece of air on earth. Like every time you speak, you'll taste the oak wood of my son's casket in your mouth, your teeth will become a funeral procession, a body made of graveyard dirt and quicksand, a walking prison jumpsuit memorial of the light you denied my son from having seen. I can forgive the hurt, but I can't forget what it taught me. To find a way to heal even if it breaks you. My grief will not be heavier than your guilt. Your guilt 
will no longer haunt me from your prison cell. No, you stay in that fucking box. My boy is now your communion. So take his body, ask forgiveness, drink his blood, taste his flesh and choke on his bones. I forgive you because my only begotten son has died for your sins. But remember, vengeance still belongs to the father. That's that, that's that. And uh, I want to try out some new shit, man. Um, I've been writing nonstop. And it's, I find myself more so venting than I am actually writing poems. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it just feels good to get it off my chest, I guess. Um, sitting in a quarantine kind of i wrote this poem it's an ode to 90s r and i'm talking about the songs that strip flesh from spirit so when you hear it you know it's deliverance to be born again baptized in the chorus of melody to find true love for the first time inside the high notes of casey and jojo begging for the most tender parts of a woman's soul this is me dealing with broken heart and all it takes is baby face asking, when will I see you again? Boys to men, mending boys to men, letting you know what love accept and what, what the heart will let in. This is an ode to all the songs I loved before I knew what losing love was or what love does is break pride down into a molecule. The microscopic optic of a heart twitch tweaking the only thing that can keep its heart beating. The first time I heard love was seeing Brandy ask, have you ever loved someone that it made you cry? And I shed tears at the eulogy, burying a shattered soul before it could ever had a chance to say goodbye. This is an ode to 90s R&B, to the pain, to the way love would break me to the way SWV would save me. The steady bop, the swag, the swing, the revelation of a new beginning. This is the big butt girl and the smile to the end of the road, to the sweet lady, to a woman's worth, to standing in the rain, to before I let you walk out of my life. This is a thank you to R&B 90s music for showing me love, for breaking me, and loving me enough to heal me. That's the one. We did a, um, a versus head to head using nothing but um, 90s R&B and doing that, it kind of inspired me to write that piece. Um, I fucking love 90s music, man. It's, the nowadays R&B is not really, eh. I have one more new piece I'm gonna share with y'all. Well, for right now, all right. There are patterns which emerge in our life, circling and returning a new and endless variation of a theme. Theme. When I was six, I hated playing on monkey bars and merry-go-rounds. See, merry-go-rounds triggered a lingophobia, my, my fear of dizziness, and the monkey bars just didn't make much sense. To hold on so tight to something that causes calluses, blisters, and on hot days, damn near third-degree burns, my own blood on my hands, but if I let go, the pain would slip through my fingers. The playground to me was a spinning death pit. I learned fast to never hold on to what hurts me, to let go. I learned to let go. Life brings you full circle, pay attention. 
There's a lesson here. There are patterns which emerge in our life circling and returning a new and endless variation of a theme. Theme. When I was 16, caught in the aftermath of a drive-by shooting, a bullet lodged inside the clavicle of my best friend. I just wanted to stop the bleeding. So I grabbed, grabbed onto his collarbone. The block spun like a merry-go-round. His blood on my hands, knowing if I let go, his life would slip through my fingers. His body, to me, was a spinning death pit. I learned fast to never let go when someone was hurting. Never let go. I learned to never let go. Life will bring you full circle. Pay attention. That's a lesson there. There are patterns which emerge in our life circling and returning a new endless variations of a theme. Theme. When I was 26, I fell in love with the woman. She said my heart was a playground in the aftermath of a drive-by. I guess my grip was too tight. I didn't leave enough space in between my fingers for her to breathe. I held her like a bleeding clavicle. She must have had monkey bars for bones. My emotions have been a habit of spinning out of control. So I had to let go but I have a hard time releasing hemorrhages. I didn't want to see myself bleed out. I never learned to let go in fear of hurting myself. There are patterns which emerge in our life circling and returning a new and endless variation of a theme. Theme, if I loosen the grip on the hemorrhaging clavicle, it allows air to flow while stopping the bleeding theme. Dizziness can be conquered by closing your eyes and breathing theme. If you hold onto the monkey bars tight enough, there will be no pain theme. If I didn't hold her too tight, she would not have bled out of my life. When life brings you full circle, pay attention, there's a lesson there. Letting go does not mean that you don't care about someone or something anymore. It's just realizing that the only person you really have control over is yourself. See, learning the patterns reshapes your thinking, learning that holding on is a form of greed. And when greed replaces the patterns, we become an ill-suited God. Life becomes a loop, teaching you the same pain you refused to learn the first time. Then shall we know that man has come full circle, merry-go-round back to where his origins and life has stemmed from, letting go, holding on, moving on, releasing that which is hurting you. Pay attention. There was a lesson here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, that 90s R&B. I got I to gotta tell you, like, there were three days in a row during quarantine in the last two weeks where I just put 90s R&B from Spotify all day. I don't know what my neighbors are thinking about me, but uh, there's something about this time, you know? Um, yeah. what, what's, your, what's your favorite, um, I don't know, favorite set of, set of songs from that era? Oh, man. Yeah. I would say anything by boys to men. Um, I'll give them all three. On bended knee, end of the road, yeah, and make love to me. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I it's like the God era of music, of R and B music, anyway. I have no input in this <laughs> part of the conversation because in the '90s I was very gay. And listening to Celine Dion and the Spice Girls, so uh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's something there. There's something there. 
yeah, yeah. Oh man, I I don't think I've ever seen uh, a single performance of yours where somebody in the audience, if not everyone in the audience, was crying. Uh, you have such a phenomenal uh, way of articulating emotions that just like really like touch deep. You know, how's that? How's that writing process for you? You know, to be so so vulnerable. Um. I didn't start writing that way until I figured out why I was writing, which was to get people to understand what, what, I, what I felt, you know? And so every line in those poems, I would say, would this paint the picture for them, right? I, I wanted to make sure, I didn't want to get up and do a poem and be like, oh, that's a sad poem and I feel sad, you know? I want you to actually feel where I'm coming from and also feel the healing in it as well. You know, I don't want to just stab you in the heart and walk off stage. I go by my book. You know, I just <laughs> I try to bring people through the journey with me, you know? So yeah. main thing is like being honest with myself, you know? That's and, what and I how, how did you set to write them? Would you, was it, I mean, you say every line had to, had to hit. Did you set off a random line by line? Uh, did you do them all once and then go back to them? Uh, what, yeah, what was the uh, process on that? My process is always write out the poem, write out the thought, right? It's not a poem at first, just write out the thought. Um, and then you go to five or six lines and you say, well, what am I really saying here? Does it have to be five or six lines? What's the most precise way I can say this? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and sometimes like that little part could be the poem, right? And I've got to erase everything around it and dig deeper on that, right? Because you want to dig deep, you want to tell your story, but you don't want them to get lost in your emotions as well, right? So I find, like, chopping it down. I hate cutting poems, but it has to be done, right? So yeah, The editing process is probably uh, much more painful than the writing process itself. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, I Do you save the lines for another time? For another poem? Um, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. I feel like I cheat myself if I keep it, you know? <laughs> I have a, a bad habit of, like, deleting whole poems on my phone, like, I don't like oh. it. It's not going the way I want to go. So I just delete it. Man. And I think it makes me work harder, you know? Yeah. People hate me. My team hates me for that. I'm like, why did you delete it? <laughs> Wasn't enough. They're like, but Wayne, there were three lines in that poem we could have used in a group piece. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well. Yeah. No, I hear you. I, uh, one of my friends, when I first started writing, uh, Chris Lee from Austin, uh, he basically said, like, in Slam, like, you only have three minutes. So if everything you're not saying is important, like, if it's not worth the five seconds that it takes you to say it, cut it. Get it out of there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Basically, we want to know. And that was the hardest part. <laughs> huh? Basically, we want to know, how can we be Wayne Henry? <laughs> What's well, the secret? Go through a lot of pain and heartache and childhood trauma and... Oh, you're there. Yeah. Oh, so it's too late, I guess. <laughs> so one of the things, you know, you read you read this uh, one beautiful poem about uh, one of your daughters. One of the things you do write about a lot is your kids. Tell, tell us how many kids do you have? What, what What's going on with your kids? Oh, man. Um, biologically, I have two, two girls. Um, they both have brothers and sisters who are also raised. So it's a total of... Ten? Oh. Yeah. Okay. And um, they're my life. They're, they're all I do. I go, I, go, I work, I do poems, I come home. Like, I don't do a lot of moving around and going out. They're everything, man. We watch movies together. We debate together. They're like little 
grown with people, you know? <laughs> I never really understood that until like really this quarantine has also helped me look at them differently. Like y'all really are thinking on your own, you know? Mm. Um, as a parent, you always try to teach them, don't do this, don't do that. or And then you start seeing them develop into their own little tiny fucking person. So it's really, as long as it's not inappropriate or hurting anybody, I let them do whatever, you know, like you have to explore yourself. Cause I look back at my childhood, I just, yes sir, and did whatever my dad asked me to do, not never thinking twice about it. And it created like a type of fear of him and also scared to be and think outside the box, you know? And I don't want to put them inside of that. That's one thing as a father, I pride myself on is letting them be like as free as they want to be. They wear what they want to wear. As long as it's appropriate, it's not offending anybody. As far as like words, yeah. I have mostly girls and they're growing, they're filling out clothes. And at first it made me uncomfortable. I'm like, fuck it. Like, you know, it's just weird. Like, you, I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> and at this it's point, different. At this point, yeah. you've now been confined in the house with them for like two months. How's how's that going? I hate them now. Like, <laughs> I want paternity tests now. Like I gotta make sure <laughs> keep this up. Um, well, it's it's actually it's been both, right? So again, like the homeschooling was tough. Like I had to relearn some shit. I had to go and brush up on science and. I'm good at math, I'm good at writing in English, but the fucking science was yeah. like, what, what is, if somebody I've asked never me what used a that in my adult life. If somebody asked me what a mitochondria is, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, all, okay, so straight, tell, there's a dozen like, people in your house? Yeah, well, yeah, because we're all like quarantined together, right? It's myself, my oldest daughter's mom, and my youngest daughter's mom. We were like, we're on quarantine, we're gonna pack it all up in one house and just deal with the shit, you know? Um, Man, that sounds like a reality show. Ideas. Like, you need to like have a bunch of cameras and that is a reality show right there. <laughs> yeah, I haven't won a single argument since the quarantine started. <laughs> Double team. Uh, yeah. Is this why you're alone outside right now? Yeah, this is my, this is the only place, man. This is the only place I can go. <laughs> it's outside. To be away from. Yeah. Hold on one second. Speaking of, hold on one moment. <laughs> this has never happened on words and shit. Um, <laughs> this might be the shit part of the words, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm back. I'm back. Uh, all right, all right. Okay. Yeah. We're here. I think uh, okay. that's very, it's a very smart move. I think especially in the position that you're in to just not win arguments, just let them have it. <laughs> cause... Yeah, because even if you do win, you lose. You lose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I told you. You got to deal with the uncomfortable silence. Like, I'm I'm easy. I'm not quick to, like, say I'm sorry, but I'll bow out an argument real quick, man. Like, uh -huh. you know what? This shit is nothing. Like, we could have corona. Like, let's not do this shit. Uh-huh. So what's the difference, then, between dealing with family like you're dealing with these arguments the ones that you're uh, not winning or just backing away from and a poetry team <laughs> there is no difference there is no difference um wow no there's no difference no um, <laughs> sometimes you just gotta like i i ain't winning this argument yeah 
Yeah, Fuck yeah. it, it's the indie thing. Fine, make it a groupie. So I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, what's the difference then? I mean, you talked about you, you you've been writing for for a while now. Um, mm. and uh have you been writing love poems for a while? Um I would write love poems and just stop because I'm not good at that, you know. Um it's not and it's weird because it's not hard for me to express myself as a person to my partner. It's just writing it on stage and or just putting it together. Like I, I I'm so conflicted with my own thoughts of love right now, you know? So it's hard for me to be concrete about it and put it in a form. Mm -hmm. um, I like to be certain about what it is I'm writing about sometimes. You know, and love I'm, is something I'm not certain about. Um, I love my kids, I love the mothers, um, I love poetry. But as far as love and relationships, I'm so all over the place when it comes to it. That well, that's the follow-up then, yeah. Good. Like, what's the difference then between those kind of poems in your 20s versus in your 30s? Now it's more hurt, right? Um, at first it was more, of, you know, I've been through more hurt, right? But the biggest thing is being able to unpack certain feelings better in, in my 20s. I would just stuff that shit deep down in my gut and be like, I'm good. Now, like I got craze growing in now, right? So it's like, I got free, <laughs> like I'm aging fast, bottling all this shit in. So just being able to process and unpack and really self-reflect on myself rather than the person I'm in love with, you know? Wendy, uh, Wendy Jones left a comment here on the Facebook uh, feed and she basically says, bullshit, you're good at it, you just hate writing them. That, that two things can be true. Two things can be true, okay? <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk about that because you brought it up right now, you know, like in your 20s, you were you were your own self and now you in your 30s but you know like 30s is the new 20s yes can we can we agree? yeah seriously talk, seriously talk like when i was 20 i felt like i was racing like trying to get shit done before i'm 30 in the grade can't do shit right like i'm thinking 30s done right i get here to 30 and like life starts over like everything like i feel like i'm at the peak of everything you know, I'm still learning still, but it's like sex, love, um, everything is just the world moves slower. Um, again, like being able to point out arguments before they start, um, being able to communicate effectively. Like I wasn't a good communicator when I was 20. Uh -huh. Now I get it. Now it's like, fuck it, right? That word, like, fuck it. You know, like, fuck it. <laughs> this didn't happen. Short on a light bill, this, but now, in 20, I would panic, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do this, now I'm going to do that. But now at 30, it's like, the worst they can do is cut the lights off, right? right. The worst I can do is run out of gas while I'm driving. It, once you really, I guess 30 is an acceptance phase in life, right? Mm. Where you start accepting the things that you can't change and have no power over. Yeah. And I'm guessing 40, I don't know what 40 is going to be like, but if, if it's <laughs> the jump that I have from 20 to 30, then I should be like a fucking... Jedi master. <laughs> yeah, life happens fucking quick, man. Yeah, I feel like in in, in my twenties, uh, you make a, a lot of mistakes, you know, and then you have a lot more knowledge to where in your thirties you can now do the things you were doing in your twenties, but much more effectively. And I'm hoping that by the time when we when I get to my forties, I'll have the money to do the things that I wanted to do in my thirties. 
but it was a too there broke to do. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I think maybe 40 is like when you're you know that these are mistakes, but you're gonna do them anyway, but you're okay with the consequences. <laughs> what is maybe. like 40? That's yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, hey, uh, I got a, the the question now. God, I my eyes skipped the page here, but um, you write a lot about issues. You said you said you're a PC, POC enthusiast. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of uh, writing about race uh, in your poems. Um, what do you say to people who say that maybe we're writing or you're writing too much about race issues? Like, isn't there something else out there? I've come to the realization, I used to always say black poems, right? I think you and I have this similar conversation to Southern Pride, Eddie. Like, it's not a black, it's, even if I'm not using the word black or referring to my skin, it's a black poem because I'm a black poet, right? Mm -hmm. um, if they don't like it, they low-key racist, right? Like, how could you have a problem with me ex explaining my life, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, you should write more about this. I'm like, okay, it's still going to be from a black fucking perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Um Sometimes I, I will go like touring. Um, I miss touring, <laughs> but I'm um, touring. I would be at like all white venues, and for so long, I was really uncomfortable with doing poems that related that talk about black injustice, right? Because you know the whole white guilt and all that shit, right? I don't want the white people. It was it was weird, right? I had to grow out of that. So now when I'm at white venues, I'm about to do the blackest fucking poem I have. Mm -hmm. Right. If I can do it in in a room full of black people, that's pre preaching to the choir. Right. They know the struggle. Mm -hmm. We write these poems really to be heard at the end of the day. And who better to hear it than the people who gone through guilty or don't know what it's like. Right. Mm -hmm. um, learning patience through this whole process of poetry is like, I'm going to do this black poem not because it's going to score high because I need someone in here to hear it, right? Mm -hmm. And once you, I start genuinely like thinking about what message I want to put on stage, my performance is higher, my energy is higher because I'm excited about what it is I'm saying. Mm -hmm. If I go on a slam and I'm thinking, okay, I got to do a black poem because I need to score, then I lost, I lost already, right? Because I'm trying to strategize my feelings. At the end of the day, poetry is a fucking art form. There's people that don't like slamming, and I get it, but I'm competitive. I like it. But what I found is like being genuine, understanding like these black poems, if people don't like it, there's a reason. There's honestly a reason. If you don't like hearing an LGBTQ poem or any poem that was that deals with a community that you're not a part of, if it, if it makes you uncomfortable, if you don't like it, you have issues that you need to work out. Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's the same way even in competition like you know where you're having to make that decision between the poem you want to do or the poem you think is going to score well anytime you don't go with the poem that you want to do it ends up not scoring well right because it's you're you're not in it you know so i think there's there's a level of of authenticity that one has to learn through trial and error that's always mm -hmm. just do do the poem that you feel like yeah you need to do whether or not it's going to make a room full of people uncomfortable because like you said if it does well it's probably doing the work you meant it to do yes yes the work the fucking work yes sir so you mentioned you know you miss touring <laughs> uh you tour a lot right 
tell us for those who are watching or uh, tell us what that's like, life on the road, touring poets, you know, working. Man, being like completely honest, it's amazing. In hindsight, once it's over, if you look back and like, yo, I had a fucking ball. Mm-hmm. But last year, like I toured, well, I was on the road for three months straight, right? And it was hell. Um, saving money, making the money and saving. Saving it was the biggest fucking thing. The catching the flights, those days was like, um, it's a turnaround trip or it's a one night show. I'm not getting a room. I'm about to do the show and sleep at the greenhouse station or sleep at the airport. Like, it's, I encourage everybody to try it. Just go out there because you meet so many different people, so many different scenes. I've never met, I've never been to a venue that's like, oh, this is just like that venue. They're all completely different. Yeah. Different styles of writing and performance and being able to soak that in and apply it to my craft, right? Mm-hmm. But being on the road, it's you miss your family. Um, the money is good when you know how to manage it, man. Like if you make $600 in a night, like fucking act like you make $30, bro. Like don't go to the biggest fucking restaurant. Go get a fucking <laughs> dollar menu. Like you have to be the money part can make you like I, I, I was actually stranded for a week in New York City, the most expensive place on earth. Because I, I had a great show. I made like $800, right? Just tips and, and people cash after and buying merch, buying shirts. And by the end of the night, I have like $200 in my pocket. I'm like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> like I got a ridiculous, an expensive hotel, um, order room service, oh. went out, went to the bar. And I'm just sitting in fucking New York City for a week. And have to scramble, put shows together. And, uh, it was, yeah. But I wouldn't Less change. Concerned. I wouldn't change it. I would do it all <laughs> again, though, right? I would do it all again. Just it's tough. I poets, if you tour, if you go on the road for long periods of time, manage your money, have a, tra- a traveling strategy, a plan A, a plan B, and save your fucking money. Yeah. Be smart. Have there was- merch. Quality <laughs> merch. Yeah, I I remember when I was um, when I was touring last last fall, like I was having a conversation with my dad, and he's like, "Son, I'm just so happy that you have this opportunity to travel and enjoy yourself and relax and just be." You know, I'm like, "No, this is work, sir. <laughs> I'm my own yeah. manager, publicist, accountant. You know, yeah. chauffeur, the writing and the memorizing. Like, this, it's a grind." Was there a city? Shout out to the poets, to the poets who host poets when they come into town that offer a bed, that offer a fucking couch. Mm -hmm. Like, y'all are fucking amazing, man. Like, it's fucking tough. And people that open that door at first, I was was like, it was beneath me. I'm not sleeping on the fucking couch. I'm not sleeping on your guest bedroom. But shit, after a while, I was like, fuck it. I'll sleep with the dog, bro. Like, this shit is tough. I got kids at home. Like I'm not out here doing this for fun. I have to bring back something, you know. Yeah. And thank you. Shout out to the people that offer. You want to name a few? Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, Anna, Anna, um, Anna Martinez. Martinez. Yeah, yeah all of, all of Albuquerque. Everybody in Albuquerque. Um, 
Chibi, you've housed poets. Um, you've housed Dallas poets, man. Um, everybody. I can't remember them all, but y'all know who y'all are, man. I mean, we, yeah. we, gotta take, we gotta take care of each other, you know? And yeah. my favorite thing about that is whenever people do offer, how apologetic hey, Wendy Jones. Are. Wendy Jones. Especially Wendy Jones. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're good. Uh, how apologetic they are. They're like, well, you're free to stay with me, but all I have is this little, you know, like guest bedroom with like a small bed. I'm like, that. Otherwise, I mean, I would have nowhere. I'm, you know, oh man, grateful for all the people and what they do. Was there a, was there a particular venue or city that really surprised you? I have two. Seattle, Washington, was so fucking beautiful. Mm. Um, like this little, it always looked gloomy, right? And I stayed in like this really, I guess it's like a, got an Airbnb. No, no, there was an app, right? Called Couchsurfers, right? And for traveling artists and musicians, you stay for free. All you have to do is share your culture with whoever is hosting you. That could be telling stories about you being on the road or cooking a dish, right? Whatever, it's free. So this dude like had this fucking mansion, like house on the hill, and I'm looking down at like the fall. And that was in Seattle. I thought Seattle was about to get fucking dragged, but um Rain City Slam with um I featured with them, um Seattle Slam, um the Everett Poetry Nights. Their venues were beautiful. Um and the second city has to be uh Boston, Massachusetts. I was out there, I did two weeks. I was there for two weeks, did nine or ten shows and this was like february of 2019 and it was fucking freezing i've never been that cold in my life but i still enjoyed it because it's the different climate the houses are built different they're like these old school four-story project homes right they look very haunted houses right it's just it, <laughs> it's weird you have to i don't know if you guys have been to boston but it's just different there right it's those two cities blew me, blew me away. Blew and they're on the they're on opposite coasts, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Old city, old city. Before we uh, before we switch topics real quick, because people are asking in the comments if somebody does want to purchase your book or Cash App or Venmo you, where can one do so? You can cash at me at dollar sign dreadful poet. That's dollar sign D R E A D. F-U-L-P-O-E-T. Um, I would prefer that, like, so you have the option to leave a note, leave your address in the note, or you can inbox me personally on Facebook or Instagram. Instagram is dreadful underscore poet. Um, and Facebook is Wayne Henry. Shoot me a request. Shoot me uh, the chat books are 10 bucks. I'm sending them out. I'm having some issues sending them. I think it's the stamps I'm using. They're not expired because stamps don't expire, but they're not acceptable. Like when they're going, like there's, the stamps are really old, right? So they're like, no, nah, we can't accept them. So there's a, I have a lot of backlog going on, but mm. Mm -hmm. yeah, the 10 bucks, um, 10 bucks, you can cash at that. I have no Venmo. I do have a Venmo. It's dreadful underscore poet. And um, yeah, I just inbox me and we can work something out. Hey, and uh, Ana Martinez just joined, and I'm like, Ana, you just got, you had a shout out like five minutes ago before you were on here. I uh, just want to oh, let her yeah. know that. Yo, you, Anna, I'll tell them how her bedroom. great host you were. 
I've yeah. lived there. Like I, I walk around there. I will practically walk around there naked. Like I feel so at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you have a beautiful house. And then just oh uh, yeah, it is. getting getting. I got my tarot read by her. I think you did too. <laughs> it was, I, I think everybody in the room has got a wonderful experience <laughs> at least once in their life. It was terrifying how accurate it was. Um, yes. Quick story. I was out there when Rage passed. I, he had literally called me the night of. Mm -hmm. Dogs in Dallas, we want to hang out. And I'm like, bro, I'm in Albuquerque, you know? And the, got the news that, well, like two o'clock that morning. Mm -hmm. And she just was that, like, I'm when I'm emotionally like I don't take loss well, right? But Anna held me down, man. She was like, yo, we can count to this fucking feature. We can get you back to Dallas as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And then I heard rage in my mind, make your money, nigga. And I'm like, nah, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna do these shows and I'm gonna, you know, unpack and then head back to Dallas. And Anna, thank you. Anna, thank you. You are a lifesaver, a friend, and I love you dearly. Yeah, I think All anyone right. ever come in contact with Anna has definitely felt like they've found, you know, like a little poetry mom of sorts. Mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. You're a I big fan sister, of... Oh, okay, go ahead. Hold on, real quick. I met your sister, Chibi, at Southwest Shootout. Mm -hmm. And the whole time I'm there, I'm like, who the fuck does she look like? <laughs> like, I'm just staring at her the whole fucking night. And I'm like, I know her. I've seen her from somewhere. And and then she introduced herself to me. She's like, you know, my brother. And I'm like, who's your brother? I'm like, Tibby. I'm like, there the fuck it is. Okay. There it is. There it is. Tibby with a wig on, man. I'm like, okay. Funny, funny story. So everybody used to say that my sister looks, 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 probably still like Sandra Bullock. And then, one, yeah. and then one day I did drag and somebody was like, oh my God, you look just like Sandra Bullock. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It is. It's undeniable. Give <laughs> me with a wig on. That's funny. Eddie, you're a big fan. Yeah, uh, you're a big fan of The Office, Wayne. Oh yeah, I love The Office. I love. It. I watch. I literally watch it every single day. What 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 is it about The Office that like uh, I don't know? Does it inspire you, or is it just kind of a release? It's just funny. It's just fucking funny. Um, I enjoy good writing and um. The writing for each show, like every episode, is is directed or written by a different cast member, right? And I just really enjoy how the how consistent the characters are, and the growth over time. Like to me, one of the greatest love stories on TV is Jim and fucking Pam, right? And I have a poem I'm working on. It's like, am I Jim or am I Roy, right? So, because I've never met a woman that wasn't a good woman. But it never works. So it's like, yo, when you're the problem. So are you Jim or are you Roy? That's coming for the next nerd slam. <laughs> yeah, I I think I saw a meme out there that said something along the lines of like, there are two kinds of people in the world: the ones that like the office and everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a funny show, man. It's 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 funny. I, I've never not laughed on a single episode. Like it's. And I, we just finished, I had the kids sit down and watch it. Like, I've been making these kids watch everything. Like, Star Wars, they've watched, like, all. I said, you guys have the luxury of being able to sit down and watch it in a day or two. I have to wait years growing up, like, <laughs> 10 years for the next movie are, you know? So, 
Yeah, and this time they say not too much TV, but I think it's like a form of time travel. You find these old shows that you watched as a kid and you feel yourself in that living room you were in growing up or you smell that carpet that was in the old house that you grew up in. And this is mm. fucking amazing, man. Yeah. Yeah. Are the shows holding up for you though? I mean, have they have they are they as good today as they were when you first saw them? No, the wire is trash. Oh, <laughs> really? Trash, man. It's so I, predictable. Uh, I'm watching well, it again. You already saw it once. <laughs> yeah, that part, that part. But I don't know. I just, it just. I watch Sopranos again. I'm like, okay, this show fucking stands. Breaking Bad stands. Um, yeah. Living Single stands. Martin stands. But, uh, the Shield, Shield stands. But the wire gets a thumbs down. Oh, 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 oh! That might be some fine words. I'm gonna see in the comments if anybody says anything about that. I don't know. I know, right? Everyone's <laughs> like, I'm, I'm waiting. There's some wire fans in the in the um, in the in the group up here. They know it's trash. They just <laughs> love culture. I was gonna say you you might disown me after this one, but I definitely fall into the category of people that don't watch The Office. Oh, oh. And I don't know what it is. I tried a couple. All right, of guys, it's been a great show. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me. So, have you tried? Have you tried? I've tried. I've tried. And maybe, like, do I have to watch them in sequential order? Is that what I'm missing here? Because I've watched like to see the growth. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just start like season three, episode eight, right? Yeah, some of it basically. But then again, it's like it's also like trash sometimes. Like some of the jokes are <laughs> trash. It's problematic as fuck. But I really like comedy, so I just get it. You know, I, I get it. I have to confess, uh, you know, I, I I tried once too, and I cringed so much in that first episode that I just couldn't watch the next one. Wow. Oh yeah. But um, I did see that one um, about the fire. The one about the fire drill or whatever they had. The, <coughs> my students made me watch that one, and that one I gotta admit, I mean, I was laughing. The whole it's time hilarious. through. Like it was a joke. Um, one of the characters didn't want to do blackface, so he did black neck instead. Like, yeah, like it was black <laughs> neck right there on his neck. Oh, but, like, yo, this shit shouldn't this shit should not be funny, but here we are, and I'm laughing my ass off. And see, I'm more of a I'm more of a drama kind of guy. Like I want to watch something whose life is worse than mine so I can stop thinking <laughs> about my problems. So oh. what's your go-to show, Jimmy? What's your go-to? Uh, well, I just finished Breaking Bad. Uh, watching it again for the third time, I think. And then what do we currently have on rotation? We're watching uh, The Outsider on HBO. Um, and uh, uh, we started Tiger King. I, I, it just, it oh, no. I, I, it happens. Yo. Wayne, Wayne, what Yo. you don't know, Wayne, is that Chibi has refused to watch Tiger King uh, the entire quarantine. I have. Despite I have. what everybody's been saying. And I'm, we're watching it. I'm literally like, both me and my husband are just watching it. Like, what uh -oh. the fuck <laughs> is happening? It's <laughs> and it just confirms my my thought. Like, white people are fucking crazy. <laughs> There's not a single black person, not not a single or person, Latin person on the show. They're all white. They're all white. Oh, like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> okay. Where do all you right. make money to buy tigers? Apparently it's only two thousand dollars, Wayne. So you know, that's it. That's it. Two thousand dollars. You do like three that's like what, like three, you know, three nights of touring yeah. without spending money anywhere else. You know, 
<laughs> we, and you know what? It's weird watching that. We should do like a poetry documentary. Like, there's so much shit that this quarantine is showing us poets. Like, there's so much more we can be doing. There's so much more. We got really <laughs> complacent on being on stage and slamming. There's so much that we can be doing. Uh-huh. It's, totally agree. Like, if they can make money, like, why, 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 why? <laughs> Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. So we talk about TV. Uh, what about music? What music is getting you through quarantine right now? What it, what music is getting you through life in general? Uh, the weekend. The weekend. Um, if y'all follow me on Instagram, I post a weekend song every single day. Um, the weekend, Drake, um, listening to old common records, most of them, um, my daughter's put me on to uh, Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish. Eilish, yeah. Uh, yeah. She's Phenomenal writing. Phenomenal. Um, and Juice World, surprisingly. I'm unfamiliar. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's it's one of those it's one of those um, new rappers. With well, I think he passed. He he died trying to smuggle drugs into an airport. Like he tried to hide it in his mouth and accidentally swallowed all the pills mm-hmm. and died of an overdose. Oh my God. So what do you think about that, that this moment then that you're in where your kids are introducing you to music? I feel old and out of touch. <laughs> I feel old and out of touch. But the fun <laughs> part is um, every now and then they'll play a song and then I will make you feel even older. It's like, I know the sample that song gives. Let me show, let me play you the original song, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, I have them listening to Tanaz now. They're listening to, because I grew up in California. So I had them listening to Corrupt, Snoop Dogg's whole catalog, um, the game. We're all just learning each other, like in a different type of way, a more intimate way. Yeah. And what's interesting like, is that, like, that culture seems to be, you know, my parents, I would always say, oh, everything's coming back, everything's coming back. And I would just roll my eyes because they were saying that the 60s were coming back when I was in the 90s and stuff like that and whatever. And like now I'm looking at my son, he's wearing, he's got a Boys in the Hood shirt that he wears. He's got a Snoop wow. Dogg shirt that he wears, you know, and he's 16. Wow. And I'm like, Did, do you, have you ever watched Boys in the Hood? Do you know who Joe <laughs> Boy is? You know? He's like, of course I did. He did was you lying, cry but then he went back and got shot it. in the alley? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you didn't, then you don't know. You don't got it, you know? You don't deserve that shirt, Yo, another show. I'm sorry. I forgot a show. Fucking Pose blew my mind. Pose? Pose. 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 Oh, yeah. Pose is phenomenal. Oh, the other one. Ozark. Ozark is great. Ozark is gold. Ozark is fucking gold. That was gold. Gold. I feel like that's so four weeks ago. (laughs) The last episode of the last season? Jesus like, no spoilers, no spoilers. Yeah, we're not going to say oh. no spoilers, no spoilers. But yeah, but I don't like that lawyer girl. I'm going to say that. I'm just gonna, I don't like her. I'm not going to say anything else. Just don't <laughs> like that lawyer. <laughs> she definitely portrayed someone you want to hate. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's good. That's good. I got one quick question because you talked about your Instagram, uh, and, but I, I'm more interested in your, your Facebook. And I, I read your Facebook on, on like a lot, and um, you always are making me laugh. Uh, and it's not just that it's funny, but it's so incredibly clever. Mm-hmm. And you've got people out there saying, 
take the damn phone from him that he's not allowed to post anymore. <laughs> put him in a corner, you know, put him in timeout. I've been kicked out of the team so many times. <laughs> you and, could and be a master, sir, because it is real smart. <laughs> right, right. Do you have like an inspiration? What's your secret? What's your secret on that? How are you getting so clever? And is there another light you possibly have? <laughs> and I was um, at a black screen. <laughs> okay, I'll say this, right? So for people that don't know me, right? Poets that don't know me, they automatically assume I'm mean. And I'm okay with that because I'm really not a people person. But the people that like actually grow on me, I have a good sense of humor. Like I'm joking all the fucking time, you know. It's just not something I uh, I share with strangers. And when I post those memes, it's like I want it to be petty, but I also want it to be like, okay, but you la- you laughing, but you like, but nah, he he, he ain't lying though. Like, <laughs> I think my favorite, my favorite, my favorite is the yes, that one, the PSI Enron one. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, it was um, it was when Aaron was doing that one meme of. I'm going to tell my kids this was, and Wayne posted, I'm going to tell my kids this was PSI, Poetry Slam International, or Incorporated, and, um, and then it was a picture of the Enron logo, <laughs> which hit on so many levels, and I'm sure there's, there were some of the younger poets out there wondering what that E was, you know, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, if you, people watching, if you need more of that, if you need more Wayne Henry, follow him on Facebook. Um, or Instagram, or are you on the Twitter sphere? No, nah, I'm not on Twitter. Not on Twitter sphere. Have oh, you have man. you fallen into the TikTok hole yet? No, I watch my kids do it every day. I'm not impressed. It's, yeah. no. <laughs> All right. They haven't gotten you one of their videos yet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Wayne Henry. I feel like yours is one of those names that, like, I can't just call you Wayne. You're, you're Wayne Henry. Um, I would love it if you could close this out with one more poem while we can still kind of sort of see you because it is getting really dark in Dallas. Yo. <laughs> so I'll end this piece like I end every feature with one of my most personal pieces. Um, you can watch it on YouTube. It's called Honesty. Um, This is a poet's attempt at honesty. Honestly, I have to get really drunk to write about my life and put it in a poem. It's like Hennessy and tequila numbs the hurt of truth as it hurricanes through my teeth, my truth. My truth is fire and brimstone raining down from the eyes of heaven so I make umbrellas out of my insecurities just to stand there in the flames. My addiction to burning beautifully makes me believe that some days I'm not the poet of my poems and my pen and my demons. Scribble agony across my face like war paint, no honesty. I write love letters for angels to give to God because I'm too afraid to face him personally. Like I won't survive the glare of his judgment. More afraid that God just might be one giant vanity mirror reflecting all of my flaws that he created in his image, my beautiful bipolar Jesus, but I digress. I have a habit of picking my own scabs or scratching to the sight of blood. My mother tells me it's something I do out of nervousness. My ex says that it's me obsessing over scars before they occur that I'm just afraid to be beautiful. But honestly, beautiful things rather be avoided and left alone than to be loved just to become broken or honestly, 
beautiful broken things they dream about one day becoming monsters because monsters can never be weak, be vulnerable, be fragile by anything that makes us look like victims because victims stand out like the nose of Pinocchio when placed on the lap of Geppetto and ask how it feels to be alive, how does it feel to be a real boy, no, honestly. Some victims grow to be six foot four, dark skinned, dreadhead, baritone poets screaming for help in between the safety of metaphors, help looking for words that make being molested as a child feel like a spiritual masculine cleansing of his fingerprints, breath and saliva, escaping the confines of my pores, help hide pain like treasure in chest, a prisoner in rib cage, help. I grow tired of slicing my silence on simile and soliloquy because help is too weak of a word for a batshit crazy black man. Still insane enough to believe that one day he can be loved because my two lips, my two lips have a habit of kissing a woman's temple into demolition. Then I try to rebuild her from the rubble like I didn't just ruin everything that she structured to make me smile. So honestly, I'm a black cloud raining inside of a glass house, begging to break out before I break down and all that can be found are whispers of poems that never had a chance to make a sound because heaven, heaven sends me love letters with no return address. So it feels like I'm writing myself in hopes to write myself and I'm not sure if God is proud of the mess that I make it. So if ever my poems sound like prayers, it's because I stand on the stage to pretend that you are the ears of heaven and these words are the shadow of my crucifixion, nailing myself to the microphone, no, honestly. These poems are really a gift from a poet too broken, too tired, and sometimes too sober to keep fighting alone. But thank you for carrying all of my burdens and helping me wash away all of these sins at the end of my poems. At the end of my poems, I pretend that you are heaven. At the end of my poems, I pretend that you are my God. Thank you. Well, everyone, thank you guys for tuning in. That was Wayne Henry, uh, an amazing, amazing poet featuring here and having this fantastic conversation. Uh, like we said earlier, if you want to support Wayne Henry, find him on Facebook or Instagram or just cash at him. Uh, it's Dreadful Poet, D-R-E-A-D-F-U-L-P-O-E-T. There's an underscore there in the inst in his Instagram. We posted it in the comments so you can find it there. $10 for the chat book. So support your poets. If you love them, buy their books, tip them. Um, we are so happy that you were able to join us here. This was a great conversation, a great break from the day. Um, I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Hey, so we enjoyed much. having you. Um, and should be next week. Next week. We next have. week we have. Tell me, right. tell me. Belita Hicks. Coming the one in and from only. Shit. San Marcos. Yes. By That's way right. of Austin, currently in San Marcos, poet, published author, activist, editor, editor, editor in chief, actually, mm -hmm. of uh, Borderlands Poetry. Um, accolades upon accolades upon accolades so next thursday we'll be back 7 30 uh here on the blah poetry spots facebook follow the blah poetry spot or write art out on instagram i think i've said it all that's right
That was everything. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining Henry, us. Take care of yourself. Good night, Wayne. Yeah, y'all too. Adios, yo. Hasta luego.